we all go through hard things. The question's not if, the question's when and how. Especially it seems like the last couple of years as we've walked through uh, a worldwide pandemic and we've seen unprecedented loss. But not just health loss and death loss, but we've seen uh, economic loss and that's been incredibly hard. So many of you in this room and so many people we know have lost jobs and uh, have struggled in that way financially. So, so many of us have lost, even this last couple of years, relationships. It seems like there's a great fracturing going on as we stake our identity in more and more opinions. We're willing for those relationships to break, um, especially it seems like politically. Uh, just this great fragmenting of relational loss. But I wonder what's hard for you right now, today, in this season. Today, what's hard what are you facing that's difficult you're sick your marriage is failing your kids are rebelling maybe you're unemployed you're stuck in patterns of sin or you can't escape an addiction maybe you've been hurt or abused and you've not known how to process and to heal maybe you've lost a loved one today you hurt and we all do in different ways. But Jesus is telling us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, that the good life is found when we are free to mourn. But that's a challenge for us because we don't always feel free to mourn, do we? Maybe the things that are difficult in your life that are hard, that are painful, rather than mourning, maybe you have a way that you like to avoid mourning. I think there's messages we hear in relation to the hard and difficult things we face. And I think there's three primary ones. The first one I think is, you will beat this. It's the optimistic, conquering message of hope. Right? I mean, we've all seen it in a TV show or a movie. Maybe you've heard it as you faced something hard. Hey, you've got this. You're going to beat this thing. You face something that seems insurmountable and people begin to say things like, look on the bright side, something good's gonna come from this, it's gonna be okay, or, um, I don't really, in America we don't really say hogwash. I tell my kids when they say something that's not true, I say, you're full of hot baloney. This one's full of hot baloney. God's never gonna give you more than you can handle. Maybe you hear these optimistic messages when you face something hard and difficult. And rather than taking the time to mourn them for being hard and difficult, we develop a plan, we work the plan, and we overcome. We may say, this is hard, but you know what? I've got this. So that's one message. Maybe the opposite message that you hear, rather than you can beat this, is this will beat you. This will be the end of you. You might as well just lay down. I mean, this, how could you ever overcome something like this? Sometimes we face something that seems so catastrophic, so bad, so devastating that we don't think we're gonna make it through. This is like the opposite of optimism, right? And the last one I think is one that we are becoming professionals in, which is hide, duck and cover. This is the message that tells you, hey, you don't have to worry about beating this and you don't have to worry about this beating you because this isn't even a thing. Just ignore it, keep scrolling, Go to the next news story. Go to the next thing. Let's numb ourselves. In fact, this isn't even a big deal at all. And typically we feel this way when we're trying to protect ourselves from feeling any sort of major pain and suffering. 
and this is often in our culture today where we are, we want to distract ourselves, change the channel, find a different show, go binge something on Netflix, and get our minds off of the problem. We may overeat or overwork to keep ourselves from focusing on this hard thing, and we actually can become numb to how truly bad some of the things are in our life and in our world. So rather than mourn, I think typically we'll take one of those three ways to avoid mourning. But are there things that God does not ask us to conquer with a smile? Could it be that actually there's a really hard thing in your life and God's not expecting you to grin and bear it? Are there some things that really are bad that God's not saying they're gonna crush you? Are there some things that have gone wrong but God's not telling you to just distract yourself? Are there some things that God really does want you to look square in the eye and just own up to how awful they are? And the answer, I think, according to Matthew 5, verse 4, is yes, Jesus is telling us to mourn. He's not saying, blessed are those who mourn because they will comfort themselves. The verb is be comforted. That's passive. That means someone else is gonna do the comforting. But Jesus is telling us to mourn. So what are the things in this world that we should mourn? Yes, there are these kinds of things. And here's the, the meaning of our mourning. If we try to avoid it, here are the kinds of things God actually asks us to mourn. See, we believe in the story of Scripture and that the story of Scripture is actually the true story of our world that we live in. And it actually begins to make sense because God created a good, in fact, very good world. It doesn't take but a couple chapters for everything to go horribly wrong. And that begins to be the source of every problem that we know. The fall into sin and separation from God. Separation from our creator, from the one who blesses us, the one who made us to know him and love him. And everything spirals from that. So God invites us to mourn. All throughout scripture, actually, it's a theme. He invites us to mourn all that has gone wrong because of the fall in Genesis 3. God invites us to mourn everything that's wrong because of sin and brokenness and separation from him. All the sin, all the death, all the suffering, all the evil. And I think this involves a couple major categories. The first one is mourning what is around us. There are things in the world that can and should cause us to mourn. And this is a good chance for the church to transcend political categories. Please, Please don't act like the other side of the political aisle is the only one that has things that you should mourn. Let's be better than that. Because our own political party, your own political party, has things that it can mourn. This is not a political category this morning. We can and we should mourn racism, abortion, the great redefining of sex and gender and marriage and family. We should mourn gun violence. We should mourn the heartbreaking stories of refugee families that get ripped apart at the borders of nations. We should even mourn things like war. That people would be so against one another that we've got to fight. You know, the Bible paints a picture of a time that there will be peace. So anything that the Bible's painting a picture of, one day it's gonna be like this when God fixes everything and we look around and we don't see that, we can mourn those things. Mourning is not a political thing. Mourning is a biblical thing. We mourn things that we and others have suffered. Things like abuse and neglect and violence. 
anger, pride, selfishness, theft, and murder. We mourn relational difficulties, close friendships that have drifted apart, marriages that have ended in divorce, sibling rivalries. We mourn all of these things that are around us. But it doesn't take too long of looking around us before we look inside of us and we find the same brokenness there too. We look inside of us and we actually realize that when I mourn the arrogant, soul-crushing leadership of prideful executives who run their people in the ground and abuse their power, it doesn't take long after I look inward and I find that I too struggle with pride. I may just not have the same platform. I mourn the way that our world highlights things like pornography or sexual issues and the way it perverts it, but then I look inside of me and I realize that I struggle with lust and I pervert it in my own heart. I mourn violence and murder in the world, but then I look inside and I realize I still struggle with anger and hatred. So while we mourn things that are outside of us, we also mourn things that are inside of us, our own sin, our own brokenness, because the truth is I've embraced ways of living and ways of loving that are broken images of what God created me to be. And so do you. We all embrace these ways of living and loving that are broken images of the way God made you to be. These are the kinds of things God is inviting us to mourn, but as he's inviting us to confront those hard things, I've got to stop for just a second and ask why. Why would God invite us to such a hard place of mourning? If things can be so hard in the world, but even in me, the frustration of not being able to fix myself, of not being able to change, why would God invite us to such a hard place? Well, what if God is inviting you to the place of mourning because he is there waiting on you? What if God is inviting you to the place of facing the hard things in your life because that's the place where he is? And the invitation to mourn and to grieve is actually an invitation to be with God. Jonathan Dotson wrote a book on the Beatitudes. He's a pastor in Austin, Texas. And he has a quote in the chapter that's on this Beatitude, Blessed Are Those Who Mourn. And here's what he said, talking about a little bit of his own story. All of this mourning led me into deeper meaning and into the presence. Suffering yielded intimacy with my Savior. I now know God to be an eternal, portable, loving comforter at a deeper level than I ever knew before my trial. There are some things we can't learn without going through the storm. C.S. Lewis has a quote in his book, The Problem of Pain. Maybe you've heard this before. It's kind of a famous quote. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Maybe the reason God is inviting you to mourn this morning and me to mourn this morning and maybe the reason Jesus says this is the good life is because pain is the pathway that leads us to the presence of God. It's a hard pathway. It's a pathway we often don't want to take and we'll find other ways around that. We'll try to blaze new trails. But guess what? There is no way to the presence of God but through great pain, great problems, great trials, 
Pain is often the pathway that God wants us to walk down to find his presence. And there's two main ways. There's, we, could, we could spend months talking about this. But there are two main ways I want to point us to this morning where we can experience God's comfort while we're mourning, in our mourning. The first is we can find God's comfort and God's presence through the Holy Spirit. See, in John 14, 26, Jesus uses this word comforter or counselor to talk about the Holy Spirit. When the comforter comes, when the counselor comes, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, this word is the same, the word he uses to describe the Holy Spirit is the same word he uses here in Matthew 5, verse 4. And the word means to call alongside. The Holy Spirit's going to be called alongside you. Comforter. He's going to be called alongside. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us, Jesus says, and he comforts us in this life. Can I tell you why that's amazing? God does not offer comfort like a feeling. He's not offering you a new feeling. He's offering you a relationship. God's not saying, I'm going to make you feel different. I'm going to make you, yeah, maybe I hope you do feel different. I hope you do get past the mourning and the grieving and the sadness, but you might not. The darkness might not lift as quickly as you want, or it might not lift at all in this life. But God promises you a comforter to be with you. He doesn't just offer to make us feel better. He gives us himself. God offers comfort in relationship. And that's why Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 can say he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Because that's who God is and that's the way that he comforts is he meets us exactly there. He is the God of all comfort. So how exactly does the Holy Spirit offer us comfort? I thought about Romans chapter 8 when it says that he prays for us when we don't know how to pray in our affliction. Has there ever been a time you don't know how to pray? Like every day maybe? <laughs> Be comforted. The Holy Spirit knows exactly how to pray for you and he is praying for you. You don't always need to know the words to pray. The Spirit is praying for you, interceding on behalf of you to God, perfectly in line with God's will. But I also thought of John 15, 26. One chapter later, after he calls the Holy Spirit the Comforter, he says it again. When the Comforter comes to you, he will testify of me. How does the Holy Spirit comfort us? He reminds us of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and he begins to shine. He is the spotlight of the Trinity, shining the light on Jesus, saying, remember who Jesus is. Remember who Jesus is. And when he shines a light on Jesus, what do we find? We find that Jesus himself actually mourns. We see him weeping over the death of his friend Lazarus. We see Jesus looking out over the city of Jerusalem, kind of the capital, central place in God's land, and weeping and mourning, saying, oh, God, I wish they would turn back to you. We see Jesus crying out in pain and in sorrow on the cross, quoting Psalm 22 that we read earlier. Jesus himself grieved. But in all of Jesus' work, the other thing Jesus does, and the Holy Spirit reminds us, is he gains us perfect access to God's presence, which brings us to the next point of how we find comfort in our morning. It's the Holy Spirit, but it's also through prayer. 
And the Psalms give us a category of prayer maybe you never learned about. I never learned about growing up. It's called lament. And this is the whole category of songs that are just this deep sorrow and anguish. There's a wonderful book by a guy named Mark Vrogop called Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy. And it's all about how to pray these prayers of lament. And he says a lament that is a kind of prayer that brings our hurt and our pain to God. Here's a quote from his book. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart that's wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. It's an honest cry. How do you find comfort? That you are free in God's presence to pray about the hard things. Not to put on a religious or a spiritual face and pray the things you think you need to say to God on. You need to pray like this and use a certain kind of spiritual words and any other kind of hurt or distraction or pain, go over here and kind of work through that before you come back to God. That's not what God's inviting you to do. He's inviting you to an honest cry of a hurting heart. He wants to hear what's on your heart. He goes on at the end of his book to say, lament is the song we sing in the space between pain and promise. There's this tension because we feel great pain, we feel great mourning, but then we look at the promises of God and we say, but God, these are the Psalms that say, how long, O Lord? That's the tension between pain and promise, and you are invited into that tension when you mourn, when you face things that really are hard. You're invited to bring your pains and your sorrow and your mourning right into God's presence because God wants honest communication from you. He doesn't want you to pretend like you're anything else. He wants you, the real you, the real you that's hurting, the real you that has real things to mourn over. So this is wonderful that we can begin to find comfort with God now in this life. Remember we've said about the Beatitudes, there's like kind of two horizons that we begin to see that they're the good life both now and forever. Well, on the one hand, we find comfort in God's presence now through the Holy Spirit and through prayer. But if I'm honest, I'm glad to have someone with me in my hard times and in my morning, but that's not really what I want. I mean, that's good. I'm glad you're here crying with me. I'm glad you're called alongside me. I'm glad I can be honest in my prayer and I know that a friend is with me or a spouse is with me or a faith community is with me. But is that really all we want in our pain? No, I, I want it to be redeemed. I want the pain to be exchanged for something better. I want the pain to go away, and I want something joyful that's gonna last. I want the promise that no more pain is gonna come. So when we mourn, the forever horizon that we mourn with is not just comfort here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted today. I, you can have comfort today but there's a greater comfort that's coming. See, morning is like the night. John Anuchekwa, a pastor I've quoted before who's in the west end of Atlanta, has a podcast that he calls Four in the Morning. And he talks about how that's like the darkest hour of the night, but it's actually just before dawn. It's actually just before the sun begins to rise. It's actually the very end of night and the very beginning of morning, but you wouldn't know it in the night unless you looked at a clock. Do you ever have that disorienting experience, maybe around time change, that you kind of wake up and roll over, or maybe you feel like you've slept a full night and you roll over and look and it's only like 12.30? And you're like, this is very disorienting. I thought I had just slept a full night and I have a full night ahead. This is great. I can get a lot of sleep. It's hard to tell when it's dark what time it is, right? Scripture in Psalm 30 uses this same imagery. 
Weeping may stay overnight, but there's joy in the morning. See, morning can be like night. It's dark. It's heavy. It's hard. And you're a little disoriented. But morning is coming. So we mourn until the morning. We mourn hoping that it won't always be night. We mourn hoping that the sun is going to rise. We mourn hoping that the comfort we have here and today is just but a small taste of the comfort God's going to give us one day when he makes everything new again. Nicholas Wolterstorff is an academic writer, but he, uh, like those academics do every once in a while, write a sentence that us common people can understand, and they're typically profound. He was writing about mourners. He said, the mourners are those who have caught a glimpse of God's new day, who ache with all their being for that day's coming, and who break out into tears when confronted with its absence. They're the ones who realize that in God's realm of peace, there's neither death nor tears, and who ache whenever they see someone crying tears over death. The mourners are aching visionaries. When Jesus is inviting you to mourn, he's inviting you to be an aching visionary, to acknowledge today in this moment, February 20th, 2022, to ache because things are not as they should be, but ache with a vision towards what they will be, the kind of vision that's painted in Romans chapter eight, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation, aching visionary, anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. It's been groaning. It's been aching. Not only that, but we ourselves have the the spirit as first fruits. We also groan within ourselves. There it is, around us and in us. Eagerly waiting for adoption and redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope, we were saved. But hope that's seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. We're suffering now. But there's an eternal weight of glory that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that's coming. We're aching visionaries. You are free this morning to acknowledge the ache in your soul. And you don't have to hide from it. You don't have to numb yourself. You don't have to cover it up. You don't have to lay down and be crushed by it. And you don't have to conquer it and fix it. You can acknowledge it because there's coming a day that God will wipe it all away. Redeem it all and renew everything Catch the vision with me in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Pause. Our eternity with God is going to be a very real, very physical eternity. If you're like me, when I was a kid, I got worried that I would hate heaven because I was not sure I could sit on a cloud and I did not know how to play the harp. (laughs) Be encouraged. That will not be heaven. Okay? You will live heaven on earth. God's plan has always been to bring heaven and earth together, overlapping. 
And here you see it, a new heaven and a new earth, God's new creation. He says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, this picture of heaven, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling, heaven, is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. Here's the vision. Here's the hope. Here's the comfort that we long for for all eternity. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne, the one seated on the throne with all authority, the king said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. God will make everything new. But right now we live in the tension between pain and promise. Between mourning like sadness and mourning like when the sun rises. We live in the tension of four in the morning where it seems dark. But one day God will make everything new. So today, what hard thing are you facing? What hard thing are you facing? I'm aware that we got teenagers and kids in here. Is it, I mean, school's hard. How difficult is it to make friends? For you adults in the room, have you lost a job, the death of someone close to you, feel crushed underneath the weight of unconfessed sin? Are you at the end of your rope in a relationship? Maybe even your marriage. Do you feel like you're getting crushed beneath anxiety and depression? Or maybe, maybe this is something we don't want to talk about. Maybe hope it's implied until it happens. And maybe we need to talk about it a little more. Maybe underneath the anxiety and the depression and being overwhelmed and trying to numb yourself, have you even thought of taking your own life? What's hard for you today? There's no hard thing in your life that's off limits to talk about in God's presence and with God's people. If you're not safe to share that here, where will you be safe to share that? So what's hard for you today? And as you face those hard things, how are you handling it? Do you feel the pressure to overcome? You got this. Do you feel the pressure to just lay down and say, it's over, I'm giving up? Or do you feel like you've gotta just numb yourself and keep moving and stay busy and distract yourself from how hard this is? I want to encourage you this morning that the hard things in your life actually qualify you to experience the presence of God. They don't disqualify you. They actually qualify you. God is waiting for you in the place of mourning. Will you come and meet him there? This is not a trite solution that's going to fix your problems. We're not saying pray and God's going to bring the physical healing. I think you heard a story about that. We're not saying pray it away. We're not saying pray today and tomorrow the anxiety's gone. We're not telling you that comfort's a feeling that you're gonna get by the time you leave. And if you keep coming back every week, God will keep giving it to you. No, no, no. What we're saying and what we're promising this morning and what God promises in his word is that he will be with you to comfort you both now and forever. So I think about the hymn that my grandfather told me 
years ago from the song, Come Ye Sinners. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. Let's pray. Father, I know that I have just talked to hurting hearts in this room. And it's been a hurting heart, two hurting hearts. No two stories of pain or suffering will be the same. No two person's sins that they are mourning will be the same. But we are invited by the same God to come and find comfort, to come and find relief, to come and find your presence. And I pray that this morning you'd help some people find freedom this morning by talking about their mourning, by mourning in your presence and even maybe by talking to some of us. So would you set us free and would you comfort us? Give us the hope that one day you will make everything new. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.